Amen. Man, it feels good in here. I don't mean the temperature. I mean, that feels good too, but... Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. My name is Pastor Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at the Tabernacle Church in Chalmette. If it's your first time here, we want to thank you for coming to worship with us. If it isn't your first time here, we are glad you're still here and you're choosing to worship with us. But if it is, we have a gift for you today when you leave at the hub. Just go out and pick it up. We're just so blessed that you came to worship with us this morning. Hope it's not your last time with us. Amen. As our ushers come forward this morning, we're going to move into a time of giving the tithes and offerings. I want to give you another testimony of the faithfulness of the giving that you guys have because it's not just something that goes for the operation of the day in and day out. We had a, a victim from the tornadoes that had basically ble- bled their, their stockpile, their savings account pretty much dry, and they were struggling. We were able to send them literally with no prep $2,500 to just rebuild and kind of reset themselves, and so that's literally because of your faithfulness. Without that, we can't, we can't do what we do. And so I'm unbelievably thankful for your faithfulness and your consistency and your trust in what God's going to do with it. Amen. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're going to do this morning in the offering. I thank you, God, that you are, whether we're given online, God, in the basket, whatever it is, doesn't matter, God, you're multiplying it 30, 60, and 100 times over. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name, God, that you're going to give seed to the sower and multiply it continuously. Father, we thank you for our chance to partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Ladies, coffee talk. You want to go ahead and share that one? Or you want me to do it? Nope. Coffee talk is this Tuesday at the Reminiscence Palace, which is in Violet. That's not this Tuesday. It's next Tuesday. Sorry. Um, they have more info on our app or on the website. If you click on there, that's how you can register. It is $10 a person. We are going to do a little bit more this time. We'll have some more food. It's going to be fun. We'll have a small word, fun activity. And it's just a good chance to uh, come together and fellowship with all the women in our church. Invite a friend. I encourage you to invite a friend. It's a little more relaxed of an atmosphere than coming to church. And sometimes that's a little more welcoming to ladies. So we have a good time every time. So make sure you register for that. Is there a deadline? I don't think there's really a deadline. But it's not this Tuesday. It is on the 28th next week. Guys, we have the men's retreat coming up March 3rd and 4th, $75 a man. Do not miss it. It's going to be a phenomenal weekend. It's in Emeet, Louisiana. Uh, Dr. Ron Johnson is going to be with us. He's phenomenal. You can be seated if you want. (laughs) It's making me nervous standing there. Um, no, you're good. Um, guys, you don't want to miss it. Courtney's doing the cooking. It was fantastic. So make sure you sign up. It's going to be great. Uh, registration's open, and there's a limit of 100 men, and there are two other campuses coming. So make sure if you want to go, get on it as quick as you can. If you're having trouble with that financially, please come see me. One of the pastors will talk to you, see what we can do. There's always somebody looking to help and sponsor somebody. So make sure you're able to come be a part of that. You don't want to miss it. Amen? Amen. And next... And then we have another women's conference. This is a larger conference that our church is a part of. If you don't know, our church is part of a network of churches called NRP. And so this is the women's conference that our whole network puts on. It is in Crown Point, Indiana. So it is a bigger trip, but it's fun. We brought, I think, around 15 ladies last year, and we had a great time. We were able to just 
have fun in a different place, meet new people. I do know the word this year is engage for that conference. They're, they're going to hone in on um, engaging with one another, engaging with your family, um, engaging yourself as a woman, and just embracing that. So if you're interested in that, you can see me after service. Let's say in that break room off to the lobby, you can come see me and I'll have some more information as far as details, price, how we're going to get there, and all of that. We've got one more. March 5th, we have Building Legacy, the Vision Sunday, and involves us in the building and everything. So I want to encourage you that if this is your church, even a lot, of, a lot of town this week, if this is your church, I need you to do everything you can to be here Sunday, March 5th. <clears throat> God's setting us up to do some absolutely phenomenal things, and I want you to be there to hear about it from the ground up. So Sunday, March 5th, do not miss it, Building a Legacy. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal. Amen? Amen. So last week, we started a series called First Things, and we talked about kingdom marriage last week. And as I said last week, Caitlin and I are both up here in absolute humility because we know there are many people in this room who have been married longer than us, and we are literally just taking Scripture and doing our best to unpack it. We are definitely not trying to sound like we've got this all figured out because, believe me, we don't. So it's all right. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, my voice is kind of cutting up this morning, but last week we talked about marriage and how that's the foundation of so many things, but today we're going to just continue with Paul in Ephesians. Now he moves from Ephesians 5 to Ephesians 6, and we're going to get into kingdom kids. And so if you're here, you're like, well, I don't have any kids. It's okay. If you're planning on having them, take notes. If you've already had them, pay attention. There's some nuggets in here for you too. But this is directly targeting the people who are currently raising kids or you're believing to get pregnant or all those different things, that's where we're targeting today because I find that a lot of times we don't get detailed enough in a lot of areas, and so we're, people are missing out on some real, real Bible in a lot of these areas. But I want to tell you a story first. I was 13 years old, and uh, growing up deer hunting like I did, <clears throat> that's kind of like our bar mitzvah was a solo deer hunt. So when you got to go to the stand by yourself, you were officially a man. That's kind of how it went. We didn't have a party. But uh, this particular hunt, it was the last weekend of the year, and my dad finally thought I was ready to go hunt by myself. Looking back on it, I feel like there could have been some better decisions made in how he set me up, but it's okay. He's watching, and we can talk about this later. If you disagree, Pop, it's okay. But he sends me to a stand that had fallen down because of a storm, and I was sitting in a metal chair on the ground. That was fun. And I'm like four foot nothing. So I obviously can't see anything, but he sends me there, drops me off. It's in the evening. <clears throat> and he tells me <clears throat> he's going to go hunt this other spot. And he, this other spot's like a good bit away. And so I'm all excited. I got my gun. I'm ready. I'm 13. This is my time to shine. It's my solo hunt. I'm becoming a man today. And I'm sitting there and sure enough at about quarter to six, this deer walks out and I Shoot a deer. Well, as soon as the first shot kicks off, I mean, a rifle shot's loud. Boom. I hear a boat crank up. We had to get there by boat. I hear this boat start. And this boat couldn't have been but 50 yards behind me. See, my dad made me think that he was leaving me and going to hunt on my own. And I was, he really just took the boat around the corner and sat and was fishing the whole time. Making me think that I was on my own doing something when actually I was in a sense. And I shot the deer but in his mind when he heard the gunshot 
His first thought was not I had shot a deer. His first thought that was I had blown my head off trying to get some out of my bag or something. That was it. And so he comes rushing and he comes jumping. And my dad, you know him, he, he's not a very athletic individual. If you've ever been in the marsh grass, you know, you really can't. My dad is running across the marsh grass trying to make sure I'm alive. I'm like, I got him. It's the deer, blah, 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 blah. He set me up to make me think that I was doing something on my own. But in reality, like every parent, he was within arm's reach the entire time right around the corner. And, and I think that that story gives a very good depiction of what the tension is with raising kids. Is as they're growing, and this morning's message, the Lord showed me something in Scripture that I think highlights, the, I believe, the three phases of raising our kids. And so in that, I want to just dive into it this morning. Would you pray? Father, I thank you this morning for your word and your presence. I pray, God, that you'd give Caitlin and I the wisdom and the grace to communicate your word to this congregation this morning. Let it fall on good ground. Father, we thank you. We honor you. Let every person leave this place changed, wanting and knowing you more. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. Now, as we've said, you've heard me say before, last week was Ephesians 5, 22 through 5, 33. And then, the, then it goes to 6, verse 1. But when Paul wrote this, there were no chapter divides. There were no chapters. There were no references or nothing like that. So it was a letter. So literally, he ends the, the part on marriage and goes directly into this verse here in Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The last chapter, Paul breaks down the responsibilities of wives and husbands according to Scripture. And we talked about that last week and how that is the foundation for the whole family unit, which is the foundation for the church, which is the foundation for the community. And so Paul lays this out. And then right after that, he moves into the next piece of this where he starts talking about children. And what I think this order does is it lays out the priority of the family. And see, this is very counter to our culture. But Paul addresses marriage first, and then he addresses children. See, in our, in our society, there's this thing that has happened, and I personally believe it is directly from the spirit of the Antichrist. But what has happened is men have stopped being biblical men, which has forced women to start stepping up and taking more responsibility in the home. And they're carrying more of the burden. They're carrying more of the weight. But then what ends up happening is the mother's heart instinctually is for her children. And so what ends up happening is we don't realize this, but because everything gets out of order, the kids end up running the house. Because mom's heart is for the kids and dad is no longer leading. And so it's actually inverted from what scripture says. I mean, we've been in restaurants, I don't know how many times, and there's... There's like kids going absolutely bananas and mom is doing her best to calm them down and dad's on his phone. Like this is not how this is supposed to be. Obviously, we know that's the case. And here in scripture, it lays out what God says as far as how the order is supposed to be in the family. And we've got to be careful because God gives us a delegated responsibility. Go to chapter, I mean, chapter six, verse one for me. God gives us this very clear responsibility that a lot of times we read over because Paul right here is talking to children. 
He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. In verse 2, honor your father and mother. That's to, to kids. Listen, I was about four years old, and I learned that verse. Honor your father and mother, which is the first man with a promise. They may be well with you, and your days may be long upon the earth. I wanted to be old. I wanted to live a long time, and so I directly connected me living a long time to obeying my parents. It worked. Maybe that's why I was the best behaved of the three brothers. That's not a, an opinion. That's a fact. Ex-parents. But maybe that's what it was. I don't know. But looking at verse 6, it says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I think we would all agree that all children are expected to obey their parents, correct? Y'all have to talk to me a little bit, correct? All right. But see, there's a difference here, is that all children are expected to obey their parents, but our children have a different standard. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. My children cannot obey us in the Lord if we don't train them up in the Lord. And so what happens is we have biblical expectations for our children without biblical foundations being given to our children. And we wonder why our children are, are being uh, swayed this way or distracted this way or, or society is what it is. It's because we're having expectations that we're not sowing seed for got to be very careful because then what happens is we begin putting expectations on seven-year-olds that seven-year-olds don't have the ability to meet because we haven't trained them. So we have to train them up in the Lord. That's our responsibility. Now, what that means is that I have to raise them up in the Lord, not in the duck line, not in the dance studio, not in the ball field, not in the ministry as the main source of raising them. All of those things are good, and I'm all for it. We were at the soccer field yesterday. I'm here for that. But that cannot be the foundation or the centerpiece of how I'm raising my children because whatever is at the center is what they will build their lives upon. And so Jesus has to be the center. Now, I want to make a statement, two statements real quick. When I say raising your children in the Lord, this is where I want to send a little shout out to everybody who's no longer raising kids or you're single and don't have any. This is where you become part of the family or as, the, as psychologists would say, the village. Because listen, Caitlin and I are up here right now, right? My mom is on the front row and her mom is sitting with her, our niece and nephew there in town for, for the week. So she's spending time with those other grandkids. This morning, or is she nursery? Where is she? Nursery? With the kids, okay. So right now, somebody we're not related to is watching my children. So if Sam decides to turn into the Hulk, which happens from time to time without any warning whatsoever, and decide to punch one of your children, I strongly hope that somebody in there deals with Sam. Because I can't in this particular moment. See, this is why we need each other. Brother Manuel Guerra is here, and I've said this before, and I like to say it every time he's here because I just think it's hysterical. But every kid at the tabernacle when I was growing up behaved when he was around. He never did anything mean to us. But if we were running and saw Brother Manuel, we just stopped running. If we weren't where we were supposed to be and he was coming, we all were headed to the bathroom because that's the one place you can be if it's not class, right? I got to tell you this story because it's absolutely amazing. Me, Mitchell Fernandovich, Manuel Guerra, and this guy, Pat Daniels, are sharing a room at a conference. Or the man you put his head down because he knows this story. 
And we're changing from the morning session. We're getting some, like, we're changing in like some casual clothes. And, and, and I'm over here in one corner and I'm, I'm taking my pants off like this. And, and Mitchell's over here changing shirts. And Brother Manuel's in the back and he takes his belt off. Y'all know that sound when, a, when, when somebody has the proper technique of taking a belt off? That bah, 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 but it catches every belt loop. Brother Manuel did that, just taking his belt off. And all, I'm the youngest in the room, and I'm in my 30s. All of us went, ah! We all screamed and clinched <laughs> because we were trained that at, the, bah, 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 at that sound, something was coming. But it's the village, and we knew this. Miss Margie Bowles was our parent, our, our room mother, all growing up at CCA. Miss Margie has helped me as a mom more than anybody I could. I mean, so many people have done this because it's part of the village. And so when you're here this morning, listen to this, because in order for my kids to be trained up and raised up in the Lord, at some point, we're going to need your help. And if you've got kids, at some point, you're going to need mine. And that's what makes this work is the village and the family. I don't believe it's a village. It's the family. We're a family here. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to make another bold statement real quick because it's our job to raise them in the Lord. But I believe I had this on the screen. You can put it up. Do I have it? My statement. Did you put it up? Yes. We are responsible for making sure our children know who Jesus is and know what it looks like to live for him. However... We are not responsible for whether or not they live for him when they are adults. I'm reading it again. We are responsible for making sure our children know who Jesus is and know what it looks like to live for him. However, we are not responsible for whether or not they live for him when they are adults. If you have a different point of belief on that theologically, I would love to schedule a scriptural debate with you. Because this particular area, I believe, is a stronghold in the minds of so many parents that defeats them and prevents them from walking out their calling because of what they're seeing in their children as they age. And I would love to sit down with you and find out what you're basing that opinion on, that it's my responsibility for Addison to be a Christian at 40. It's not. It's hers. It's my job to make sure that she knows how to live for Jesus in my strengths and lean on him in my weaknesses. She better see me repent to Jesus and apologize to her just as much as she sees me in this word every morning. Because they need to know that I need him every single day. Amen? Now, why is it so important that we raise them in the Lord? It's because they don't belong to us. They belong to him. And there's no better person in the word who displays this better than Hannah. So I'm going to jump into 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to start 21, verse 21 and 22. Now the man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer the Lord yearly sacrifice in his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said her husband, said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned. Then I will take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain there forever. And just to recap, if you don't know the story, Hannah longs for a child for a long time. She's unable to have children. And one day she goes up to the temple and she's praying and the priest thinks she's drunk. 
because she's praying so desperately for a child. And, and she tells the Lord in that prayer, if you'll just give me a child, if you'll bless me with a child, I will give. She promises to give that child back to the Lord. And so that's what she does. She, he blesses her. You know, she has, he has favor on her. She goes home. She gets pregnant. And so now they've come up to a year in, and, and her husband knows this promise that she's made. And she says, well, hold on. He's not weaned yet. I am going to keep that promise because the Lord kept his, but I need to wait until he's ready. And then, and then he will remain there forever, and she keeps that promise. And so right there, that shows that she understood that what was given to her, the gift of a child that was given to her, was not hers to keep. It was not hers to call her own. It was just that, a gift from the Lord. And often, as parents, we can want to hold on to that gift because we know they're so precious and we never want to let them go because we're scared that nobody else is good enough or the world definitely ain't good enough. But what we need to understand is that if we're growing them up in the Lord and we're teaching them the ways of the Lord, then he's in charge of them. He's really the one who's setting, sending them out. Um, and just like any other gift, you know, we often talk about stewarding our gifts. If Chris has the gift, you know, Chris has the gift to uh, play music. He could play music anywhere, but to steward that gift and to honor the Lord, he worships the Lord with his music here. He doesn't go, you know, make money with it wherever, wherever else he can. So just as we would steward any other gift, how much more should we steward the gift of a child? How much more should we be willing to say, God, thank you for this gift. I trust you that you gave me this gift for a purpose and I'm going to give them back to you. That's what we do when we um, have baby dedications. It's simply saying, God, I promise that I'm going to give this child back to you, that they're going to be used for your kingdom, that every gift that's been placed in this child will be used for you, that I will raise them up in you, that I will give them back to you because they're a part of the kingdom. And honoring him by giving him our child and by trusting him with our child will go so much further than just keeping them sheltered. Keep it. Why, do we, why do we need to raise them in the Lord if we're not going to push them to share it? If we're just going to keep it in our own four walls of our house, why would we ever even need to give it to them in the first place? The whole point of it is so that they can reach the world just as you are called to reach other people. And so Hannah prayed a desperate prayer, and it consumed everything that she was. And in, if you read chapter 1, it tells us that it so much consumed her, like it was everything she thought about all the time, that it made her husband question his role in her life, which is what we really talked about. Well, Chris mentioned it earlier on how our marriage needs to be first because that's a display of God's love. And we can't lose sight of that just because we've been given the gift of a kid. And so he, he says to her, am I not enough? Which probably he could have used better words in that moment. <laughs> but <laughs> am I not enough? Um, but what he was saying was, I've lost, you've lost sight of my role in your life. You've, you've lost sight of, of what we're supposed to be because of something you're longing for. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't long for a child. They're a blessing from the Lord. I'm saying that it consumed her to the point of where she was starting to lose who she was. 
And it was a good desperation. It was a good prayer. So the Lord honored and did bless her with a child. But we need to make sure we don't take that too far because they're not ours to keep. They're, they're ours to give back to him, to offer back to him. It's one of the best gifts that we can do is send our kids out into the world so that they can honor the Lord as well. So if scripture says that they're not ours, I think it would be very important for us to figure out what we're supposed to do with them while we have them. And I believe in Psalm 1, excuse me, in Psalm 127, it gives us a very, uses an analogy, and I think it gives us so much in this one analogy. My mom is actually writing a book on this that she'll finish at some point in her life. But this year, in Jesus' name, amen. But Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies at the city gate. That last verse, that last piece, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. That's referring to when my children grow up and I have an enemy at the gate, my children are standing with me. That's why I'm not going to be ashamed because I have the support and backing of them with me as I brought them up. But going back here... They say that Solomon, the word says that Solomon is, was considered the wisest man in history. And so Solomon uses this analogy, and he wrote this psalm. And he, he, he uses the analogy of an arrow. And so this morning, I want to take that arrow because I believe it gives us a breakdown of the three seasons of raising children. And as I said, we're only in season one still. I can kind of speak to some stuff at season two because of all my years doing youth ministry, but I haven't had a teenager live with me yet. So when that comes, answer your phones. But um, what I want to emphasize really quick, and this is something that I want to be careful how I say it because I don't want to be offensive, but every season is just as important as the other. So if you know me, Rachel Wilson and I have had this, this banter now for I don't know how many years. We've had this back and forth debate over the best years of my life. And, I, and we go back and forth on it, and I'm not trying to out her here because I'm going to make a point. When we first started having that conversation, I fundamentally disagreed that having infants would be the best stage of my life. I've, like, I refused to even acknowledge that it was enjoyable. I didn't have any yet. And I was like, no, it's going to be better as they get older because my mom always said the best years that she had with us was when we were teenagers, which is a little ironic for most people, but that's what she says. I don't know about Cliff, but definitely Cody and I. But it's just a joke to make people laugh. It's okay, Cliff, don't get mad at me. But um, what I found out as I began to live this is that I was living in error because I was diminishing one season by overvaluing another. But when we came home with Addison, and I would lay on the sofa, and y'all remember, dads, when you put them right here, and they fit above your belly button and below your neck, and they, they don't move? Y'all remember that? Absolutely. It's, it's, it should be illegal because it's like drugs. When they lay right there. When they throw up, you don't even care. One time, I, don't, I think it was one of them, threw up, I mean, everywhere. It was probably Bethany. But it's an absolutely incredible feeling. 
And I had to realize that I was wrong in diminishing that season so much. Because that season offers something I'll never have again. However, what I see a lot is, is particularly moms, and I'm just going to say this, and you can be mad at me if you need to. Okay. Stop growing up. Don't grow up. Don't get old. Stay this big forever. That's not this. What I'm doing is I'm overvaluing a season, and if I'm not careful, if I overvalue the later ones, I'll miss my opportunities in the first ones. And if I overvalue the first ones, I'll set myself up for depression as they age. Because nothing compares to back then. Because listen, holding them right here is amazing. But two years ago, Addison, I was at a youth camp. Addison and Bethany went with Miss Tracy to Charleston. They were there for like 12 days. I didn't see them in like almost three weeks because I was gone. Then they left. And I went to pick them up from the airport. And Addison turned the corner at the gate. And when they saw me, Addison and Bethany sprinted to me. As fast as they could, their bags falling everywhere. They had the dumb mask on, and they're like having this marathon, running over old people, like just sprinting to get to me because they hadn't seen me. And that moment provided the same type of rush as this moment did. And as they get older, even from that, we're watching Bethany on the soccer field, and she's getting pretty good at soccer, and I watch her play. I get, I get the same feeling in a different format when I watch her out there. We cannot overemphasize, overvalue, or overcherish any of them. You can have a favorite. I'm okay with that. But don't let your favorite rob you of what we're supposed to do in the other ones. I had to repent because I was. I was letting my, because I was a youth pastor and I had fun with teenagers. I was, I was letting the, the, the joy of one day having a blast with my kids at 16 rob me of enjoying them at six months. And I had to repent for that. So make sure you're not falling into that. Cherish every season. Cherish every moment because they're a gift. So the first season is that arrows, the first thing that we're going to see here is that arrows are made and sharpened. Yeah. So that would be our, our baby adolescence age when we're sharp, when we're able to shape and mold them and teach them things that they don't know. So that's when we're making and sharpening our arrows. And the hard truth about that is, you know, we all know that we can't turn back time. So in a sense, you only have so much time to shape and mold your, your arrow until somebody else steps in and tries to change their mind about it. And that can be a little bit scary as a parent, but, you know, the grace of God is sufficient. Don't get me wrong. So if you feel like you didn't shape or mold your kid in a certain area, you're, you know, you're not too, they're not too far gone. Just as, you know, we call out to the Lord and he reaches down and saves us in that moment. He can do that for your child as well because his grace is more than we can comprehend. But we do have an opportunity while they are young to shape and mold them in the way of the Lord you moved it on me. <laughs> and, you know, so what I did was I was like, I don't know how arrows are made. Does anybody else know how bow and arrows are made? Okay. Well, I looked it up, and what I found was very interesting. And I just kind of want to go through that process with you this morning because it was very, it makes a lot of sense on why 
an arrow was used as the analogy in this scripture. And so what I found was the process of making, and this is just the process of making the actual arrow, not the, um, the bow or the stick that's used, just the arrowhead. The process is called flint napping. And just to quickly explain that to you, there are about five steps to that. And they're all, they're all equally important because you can't skip a step or you'll never complete or fully have your arrow ready to shoot. Uh, and the first one that it, the first thing that you have to do is you have to be, it said you had to be safe. Safety and ethics is what rule number one was. And so I took that as our very early stages, you know, an infant can't do anything. We have to care for them. We have to nurture them. We have to love them. That's when, that's when they feel the love of the father. That's our time to let a child know that this is how the father loves. And I know how the father loves because I know he loves me. And nurturing and being careful with that baby, because we all kind of feel at times like they could break, right? But being careful with them, loving them, nurturing them. The second step was choosing the proper materials. And it talked about how you can't use a certain type of rock. You need this more textured type of rock so that'll break easy. And, you know, you need a certain type of stick. And it was going into all the details about picking the proper materials. And as Christian parents, the only material that we need is God's word. It's all that you need. You don't need to have grown up around children. You don't need to know everything there is to know about babies. You don't need to be a nurse and know all the medical things that could go wrong. It's all great to have wisdom in those things and to have people that can help you raise your kid. But the only proper material we need to raising our kids in the Lord is the Word. And if you come to our house, the Word, the words that we're using right now in this season of our kids is the fruits of the Spirit. You'll hear us say it all the time. You'll hear us stop our kids and say, you know, mostly Sam because he pushes us the most right now, but we'll say, what are you? And, you know, he'll, he'll repeat back to us because he knows, and he'll make sure he says, I am patient. And if he's not hitting the one I'm trying to get across at the time, I'll make him say, no, you have self-control. And he's like, yes, I have self-control. But using the word and affirming our kids this morning in worship, when we were singing, I am chosen, I have a place in my father's house. I began to weep because I looked over here at these kids worshiping, and that is something that they will be reminded of because the world is mean, and kids are mean. And growing up in the presence and in the word of God and affirming them through the word, speaking that over them, making them speak the word over themselves will go farther than any advice or any talent that you can teach them. Because there's going to be a time in their lives where they don't feel like first choice, where they don't feel like they don't have a place. But they can think back and they can remember, wait, I know I always have a place here. I know that the Father always chooses me. I know that I am who I am because of this, not because of what the world's telling me. That is a lie. And so they'll be able to say, that is a lie. I know the truth. I grew up in the truth. So our proper material is the word. The next thing that needs to happen to make the arrowhead is it's called percussion flaking. 
That sounds so smart right now. Percussion flaking. And that is after they've chosen, let's say after they've chosen their rock, um, obviously it's a bigger piece of rock. They need to chisel away a smaller piece of the rock to make sure um, that it can be shaped into an arrowhead. And I believe that's what we call discernment as a parent. And choosing what am I going to allow into my home for my kids and what are we going to stay away from? What do I think they can handle in this season of their life? And what are they not ready for? That's something that only you can create in your home by the leading of the Holy Spirit and by prayer for your kids. You know, our, you know, and really per kid, there may be some things that Addison can handle right now that maybe, you know, Samuel cannot. And choosing, okay, they're ready to trust the Lord and to go out and do whatever. They're ready to go to a friend's house, and I can trust them to do that and make good decisions. Using your discernment to raise them in the Lord. The next thing is pressure flaking. Oh, we put that twice. It was, no, no, it's not. Percussion flaking and pressure flaking. I knew they were similar. And so once they have that small piece, they need to smooth it out. So now they're making their edges. It's looking more like an arrow, like a triangle there. And they're smoothing out the edges. That's where we can discipline and really do the refining process with our kids. Because we're doing our kids a disservice if we don't discipline them, right? They wouldn't have to obey anything if there was nothing to obey. So there needs to be a discipline. There needs to be a refinement. But that also means we need to allow our kids to make decisions. We need to let them make mistakes, just like we make mistakes. Chris said earlier, our kids need to see us repent. We don't repent if we haven't done anything wrong. So when our kids make mistakes, we need to allow them to repent. And we need to show them there are consequences here. This is a refining process for you. And next time you're going to know better. Next time you're going to make a better choice. And loving them in that, loving them in that discipline. And then the last thing that's done is called um, notching. And that is right before they're, you know, they're making more divots in the arrow now. So they made it smooth, and now they make it um, smooth around the edges, and then they said they make it textured on it. So think like, um, I don't know how to explain, kind of like gravel. Like it's all textured now. And I told Chris, as soon as I read that, I thought that's the marks that we get to make on our kids. That's the, the, the moments that we get to make sure that's never going to leave them. The conversations that we have one-on-one where we say, this is who you are. I want you to never forget that. That is a deeper refining because I'm about to push you into a new season. You know, let's just say you're about to, your kid's about to go into high school. They're going to experience a whole new world now. They're going to see how other kids were raised. But we're going to make sure they're marked and that they know that this is something we don't move on. This is something that we don't allow to change us. Other people may do it differently, but we stand on this. And we notch them and we mark them. And we, we send them out and we trust that they are ready to be shot and released. Which is our next. Uh... So the next one here we have is that arrows <clears throat> are aimed. And this is going to be the preteen I'll call it youth ministry years, preteen, junior high, and high school, which I have, an, I have a lot of insight on from being involved in that for so many years. But in aiming an arrow, tension has to be applied. And I'm not, I'm not aiming anywhere if there's no tension involved. 
And this represents the, the season of life where freedom and maturity begin to fight each other. In junior high and high school, it becomes less about leading them and more about teaching them to lead themselves. This is where we have to put them, this is the tension, we have to put them in situations where they can make decisions that are age appropriate, that don't hinder them and put them in a spot where they, it's beyond where their maturity can handle. And I think it's so crucial because we have to be careful that we're not blindly trusting or not trusting at all. And there have to be consequences. See, at this stage, what I find is that this is when we can first start making kind of bigger mistakes at this age because we have access to more things. We're being left alone a little more. We can make bigger mistakes. This is, we're no longer breaking things in mom and dad's house. We're breaking things in somebody else's mom and dad's house, and we're staying out late, and we're sneaking out late and things like that. I have to make sure that I put them in a situation that they're not going to be beyond what their maturity can handle. And then there have to be consequences involved. And I just want to say this, and I'm going to put it out there, and I'm not going to apologize for it. Under no circumstances, if you have a teenager that's in junior high or high school, never punish your kids from church. Ever. Ever. But that's their social life. Trust me. You can make going to church a social punishment. My dad brought me to youth. I had to lead worship. You've heard me tell this story. He sat on the front row. We used to sit in the two middle sections. My man sat on the front row in this outside section, told me I was not allowed to speak to anyone but the worship team during rehearsal and the pastor. That's it. All I could talk to. So it was time to band practice. I walked up on the stage, got a sound check. When sound check was done, had to come sit back by dad. Pre-service, everybody's hanging out talking. You can't come talk to me. Don't do it. He would say he can't talk. That's only we told all my friends, he can't talk tonight. Because my grades were too bad. Go sing, go lead worship, go minister, go do your thing, go use your gifting. Sit your butt back down here. Two minute break, tell everybody hello, except for Chris. Don't go talk to Chris. Can't talk to Chris tonight. Got to hear the whole sermon, got to close the worship service, got to do the ministry at the end, got to break down the sound system, got right back, walked out the side door, got back in the truck. I went to youth. I didn't miss out on the ministry. I didn't miss out on the Holy Spirit, but it was a socially horrific experience because of the consequence that I had to face and the reality of it. Do not do that because I can promise you this, and there are parents here who will testify, our youth pastors are on your team. We are working with you when you're not around to help your kids get back where you want them to be. To the point that there are people that I don't pastor anymore that are no longer in youth and I'm no longer the youth pastor and they'll still call me. And they'll still ask me questions. And they'll still randomly text me with the, I'm struggling with this, can you pray for me? And I'm like, absolutely I'll pray for you, you dummy. You ought to be back at church and I hope your life is miserable. But I want you to get back at church and I'll still pray for you. That's right, I said it. I pray that their lives are miserable while they're in the world. I mean horrible. Horrible. Because they need Jesus. That sounds mean, Pastor Chris. It's better than hell. But in that, I have to apply the tension. And I want you to think about something with the arrow, right? Is on the, the bow. Does the arrow feel the tension or is it the bow? The bow feels the tension. As parents, we should be the ones bearing most of that tension. 
We should be the ones struggling. I'm going to just be real transparent, okay? We're going to drop all the curtains, break the fourth wall, whatever you want to call it. We're getting real personal for a minute. Last year, Caitlin and I agreed to let Addison march in the Mardi Gras parade. That was down here. Now, if you know me, I don't do Mardi Gras. We don't do Mardi Gras. We don't go to Mardi Gras. We don't participate in Mardi Gras. Celebration of witchcraft and debauchery. It's okay. We can talk about that later if you want to. But we don't do that. But in our conversations and talking to Addison, we both felt through discernment, literally through discernment, against opposition actually from people, that Addison needed to march in that parade. And we actually went back and forth on it a while. And I felt, okay, Addison came home from the parade and said, I know why we don't go to those. She saw something by marching that was safe because mama was right next to her with 15 other parents and the van. And she saw something that day that she would have never seen staying home at the crawfish boil. But guess who felt the tension? Not Addie. We did we felt the rub. We felt the struggle of how to make this decision. There are going to be times that you have to do like my dad did and drop them off and go right around the corner to give them the impression that they have the freedom and are doing what they want to do when in reality you are right there because you understand that there's so much tension involved in the moment. But if we don't ever apply tension, the first chance they get the opportunity, they're going to do the exact opposite of what we taught them. We have to teach them how to think and lead themselves. And the third thing is that arrows are released. So first they're made, they're put together, then they're aimed through tension, and then they're released. And this is the part that, it's funny because there are two types of parents. There are two types of parents here. There's the first parent that counts down the days until they're empty nesters. It's on their calendar. They have alarms in their phones. Then there's the second of the other side of parent that, that, that would, would build additional houses on their property connected to their house so that all the kids can raise their kids and grandkids in the same house under the same roof. There are two different schools of thought. Personally, I'm the guy that will eventually have it on my calendar. That's just me. I love my wife. I want to travel. It's going to be great. I can't do that right now. It's okay. But that's where I lean. It's all right. It's not a big deal. I still got to love my kids. But at some point, we have to release them. And I know from talking to parents, parents have had in youth ministry, that that's the scariest part because I don't know if they're ready. I'm not sure if it's time. They're not ready yet. They're not living right. They're not doing these things. Please don't compare your children at 20 to where you are at 45. Compare your children at 20 to you at 20. Most of the time, they're better off than you were because they had you. It's quiet because some of y'all don't believe that you did that good of a job. But you didn't have you, and they did. You may not have had somebody like me. Y'all, I had, gener- I, had, I had three generations praying for me. I had grandmas and great-grandmas. I, I mean, I, if I wasn't sleeping at their house, I was at Grandma Melba's house, and I was still getting taught the Word. So it didn't really matter where I went. I, you may not have had that growing up, 
But you may have been the first person in your family. You might be the first person in your family now that's raising kids in the word and in prayer. Do not compare them to you at 45 with them at 20. They're going to be way further on than you are at 20 and watch God do wonders and miracles in their lives. But you got to release them and let them go. Because I can only imagine, and I, if my mom was up here, I almost thought about preaching this with her, but Kayla and I were doing this series together, and then she'd be teaching her book, and I'll let her do that later. But she told me one time that, and it happened with me first, but it's happened now with Cody and Cliff, that one of, if not the greatest joy in her life has been to do ministry alongside Cody and I and Cliff. To lead worship alongside us. This morning, me, her, and Cody were singing three-part harmony. The Holy Spirit, thou welcome. She was in her glory this morning. Now, does that mean she didn't like me at 15 or didn't like me at five or five months? No, but she released an arrow. Trust in the Lord in the process. And I promise you that we weren't always flying in the trajectory she wanted us to be. But now she gets to stand back and reap the benefit of raising us in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I want to say this before we close. That the prince of the air can sometimes mess with the trajectory, but God controls the winds. That arrow might not look like it's going where you want it to. If you've ever watched an arrow, then things will do this. They'll swerve back around. Well, Pastor Chris, how do I know if I'm aiming them in the right place? We don't get to pick where we aim them, and they don't get to pick where they're aimed. We seek the Lord. We know the generics. I know my kids need the education. I know my kids are going to grow up, and they're going to have to become more functional members of society. I can't force my kids to be full-time ministers. I got to seek the Lord. What do you have for Addison? What do you have for Bethany? What do you have for Samuel? What do you have for baby L4? What do you have? And when he tells me, I know how to aim it. I know Addison's called to worship. She's got the singing gift like my mom does. So I automatically know, I know where I got to aim you. I got to watch out for her pride. I got to watch out that she's not too insecure outside of her singing ability. I already know what to do because I know where I'm aiming. Seek the Lord and let him show you where to aim.